Hi there, it's Sue, and you're listening to a special 12-part series of Maker to Master, Find and Fix What's Not Working in Your Small Business. This is part five. Given that many of us are sequestered at home right now, I wanted to do something to balance out the pull to watching the news over and over again. The best thing we can do right now is stay healthy, mentally and physically. That means being active. Go outside for a walk each day, lift weights, or get on your home bike, and think about how you can use this newfound time to be productive. Wouldn't it be great to come out of these times stronger in mind, body, and business? Towards that end, here are a few chapters of my book. Listen to all 12 episodes to hear it in its entirety. On Mondays, I'm sticking with our regular podcast, and then on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you'll get these special editions. If you'd like to purchase a hard copy, you can do so on Amazon or at giftbizunwrapped.com. Are you discouraged because your business right now isn't performing as you envisioned? Do you tell people everything is wonderful when inside your stomach is churning because you know it's not true? This book will help you identify where the holes are in your business and show you exactly how to fix them. You'll learn from owners just like you who are seeing real success, growing their companies, and living their dream. In this book, find out how to confirm your business is set up correctly to provide the foundation for growth how to implement pricing strategies that bring in sales and make you money, how to effortlessly attract new customers every day, and balance the making of your product with the running of your business. And finally, you'll discover how to ensure that your business stays open and grows over time. Let's get right to it, shall we? Chapter 18 Who are you? How much is it? I'm guessing if we took a poll, this would be the most frequently asked shopping question worldwide. It's a phrase translated in every tour book. I've learned it in more than a few languages throughout my travels. What's the first thing you think of when you're asked this question? My guess is you try to figure out if you can give a price low enough to be acceptable, right? Why is this? Why do we automatically think that if we don't drop our price, we'll lose the sale? This price cut mentality has to stop. We don't try to get a discount from Apple when we buy any of their products. They've shown us from the start that they stand for high quality products and providing an exceptional experience. It's part of the appeal and the price. They've told us that they will not discount, ever. And over time, they've stood by this claim. In doing so, we have been conditioned to buy now. No waiting for the next sale. If we want an Apple product, we will pay their price. End of story. Now let's talk about Walmart. They are all about low prices. They have trained us to shop with them if we want to buy things on the cheap. How about Nordstrom's? They captured the market's eye years ago with their solid customer service. They empower their employees to do all they can to ensure a memorable experience for their shoppers. Many articles have been written about them. There's even a book, The Nordstrom Way, 
which covers how their core values are the basis for their world-class customer service. All three of these businesses are successful, yet they all stand for different things. There are many more. Eileen Fisher, Zappos, White Castle, and Pottery Barn. Each one brings to mind specific angles that they are known for. Nobody questions them. It's just the way it is. How about you? Who are you and what does your business stand for? Have you ever thought about it? Not sure? If you are all over the board on price and position, you don't stand for anything. It's time to claim a position. But no worries. There is no time like the present. Make a stand and stay consistent with it. Chapter 19. Penny Candy. Penny was in heaven. Her dream of opening a bath shop had come true. To her amazement, Soapy Sense was going better than she could have possibly imagined. She sold online, so her overhead was low. For that reason, Penny decided she could price her products low, too, and beat out the competition. It was working. She had so many orders she could barely keep up. Her sister started helping out with the shipping. Since she had to replenish her inventory regularly, she could buy wholesale in larger quantities. She even negotiated a better rate due to her volume. With this lower rate, she reduced her prices even further to make a statement and get even more business. Orders were increasing as she anticipated, and her revenue was going up, up, up. That prompted Penny to start thinking about opening Soapy Sense franchises. Wow, this small business life is great. Fast forward six months, and Penny is not thinking the same way. Oh, don't get me wrong. The sales continue to roll in. Soapy Sense is trending to bring in over $250,000 this year. So what's the problem? The costs to run the business far outweigh the sales coming in. If she keeps going the way she is, Penny will have $350,000 in costs and only $250,000 in sales. She'll be in the red by $100,000. This is not part of the plan. What happened? It all points back to the pricing strategy Penny implemented in the beginning. When she priced her product, she looked only at the primary costs to sell her soaps. She didn't consider any of the hidden or indirect costs. Let me explain in more detail. When she purchased handmade soap bars at $1.25 each, she decided to sell them for $2. This was following her low price strategy. She was thinking she was making $0.75 on each bar. She forgot about the shipping costs to get the soaps to her. Then there was the order processing, packaging, and shipping to her customers, not to mention the costs of running the business overall. She completely ignored the costs associated with website development, marketing, and advertising, and purchasing software programs needed for accounting, inventory, etc. You might note I didn't even mention a salary for Penny and her sister. Yikes! Pricing your product is a make-or-break decision. You need to look at the whole picture, be very aware of all your costs, and decide on a pricing strategy accordingly. 
For creators specifically, there is a tendency to underprice or not charge at all for our production time. That's a dangerous decision. I've said it before, but I want to emphasize it again. Your skill and talent come so naturally to you that it's easy to underestimate its value. Additionally, you invest in tools or equipment to make your art. You take classes to learn your advanced techniques. You may even attend conferences to stay up to date on your craft. This makes your time and your expertise worth money. There is a lot of information available about pricing. Consult our friend Google for all the details you need. Search specifically for pricing in your particular industry and product. This book is not intended to focus on the details of setting your price, but I would be remiss in not bringing up the potential downfall that business owners make. It can lead to closed doors and high debt very quickly. I don't want that to happen to you. Chapter 20. Less is so much more. Picture this. You own a retail shop. Customers come in and spend time looking around. They handle the products on the shelves, and then they walk out the door. Or you're selling products at a farmer's market. People come and look at what you have displayed, touch a few of the items, or take sample after sample, and then walk away. You're screaming under your breath, what's wrong? You've come so close to buying my product. Why did you stop and walk away? Is it possible that you are offering too many choices? Where you would think having more options would bring you more sales, many times it's actually a hindrance to the sale. Experiments show that people become overwhelmed when presented with too many choices. Even more importantly, it affects their decision about whether to buy. Take this example conducted by Sheena Ivangar of Columbia University. A table of Wilkin and Sons jams was displayed outside a grocery store in Menlo Park, California for two consecutive Saturdays. They tested the results of offering six flavors or 24 flavors to see how it affected sales. The results proved the case for fewer product options. When 24 flavor options were displayed, 60% of the people who passed by stopped a sample, but only 3% purchased. When there were only six flavor options available, 40% of the people stopped, yet 30% purchased. That's a pretty solid case for fewer options. Wendy from Pinsit will confirm this too. Her fashion accessory at the time came in 40 different designs but she could see that people who stopped by at craft shows were overwhelmed. They struggled to choose which one to buy, and sometimes that meant they bought nothing. As a result, she narrowed down her selection to 10 designs that were the best sellers. As an aside, this also makes producing her product through an outside manufacturer much more realistic. This is a necessity if she wants to grow her business. So what should you do if you have too many sweaters in your store? Trim down the options to six of the best-selling, seasonal trending colors and styles. If there are too many chocolate flavor options at your trade shows, reduce down to the three best sellers and see how it affects sales. Here's an idea if you have too many spice mix varieties on your website. Combine mixes into themed packages, such as holiday baking or Italian cuisine. 
That way you can reduce the number of actual products while still offering all the flavors. This can be particularly effective to clear out inventory as you switch to a less is more strategy. Refine, combine, or limit your product offerings and see what attracts customers and prompts them to purchase. I want you saying, thank you, come again, not wait, come back. Why didn't you buy? Chapter 21, Tis the Season. You took a risk on a new product that you thought for sure your customers would love. You've sold a couple, but the rest have been sitting around for a few months. Don't beat yourself up about it. You have to suffer through some bad purchases in order to see the reward from the real winners. As you become familiar with what your customers want, your winners will far outweigh your losers. But you don't want to keep those loser products in inventory for too long. They take up space, and if they aren't selling, having them on your sales floor for any length of time makes your shop look dated. Retain too much stale inventory, and overall, your sales will start to decline. Here are some ideas of how to clear out the old stuff. In-store sale. This one is obvious. Discount the product to see if it moves. Start at cost or slightly above, and if it doesn't clear out, drop the price below what you paid for it. Getting some money back is better than keeping the product in inventory indefinitely. Sidewalk sales. This is different than an in-store sale. Sidewalk sales usually have multiple stores participation. It may be a downtown community of shops or a strip mall. These events will attract a larger crowd and bring in people other than your regular customer. Many retailers use this as a way to clear out their shop. Products that don't sell are taken off the floor and specifically held for this purpose. If you have storage space, it's a great option. Online sales. For items that you can't turn no matter what you do, try posting them on eBay. If you have only one or two pieces left or an incomplete set of something, this is a way to get it out the door. Clearing out those loser and miscellaneous products will allow the dollars spent on them to be off your mind and in your bank account. There is beauty in stocking the right products, claiming a price position, and ensuring your products are priced with a healthy yet fair margin. Your business will grow. And as you do, there will come a time when you'll need to bring in help. Almost every successful business owner says they wish they would have done this sooner. Maybe it's the unknown of how to handle employees that causes the delay. For sure, it's the fear of being responsible for someone else's paycheck. I can't wait to share with you how this can be much less intimidating than it initially seems. You may be in a position to hire right now. Check out the upcoming Free and Mighty section to see what I mean. Employees rubbing shoulders. No question about it, when you bring in others to work with you, it gets more complicated, but it also has its perks. You can hire someone to take over responsibilities you struggle to complete. There is a thought exchange which can lead to improved systems and new ideas. There is a world of benefits that come from the addition of employees. How do you find the right people, though? And once you've got someone good, how do you keep them long-term? Chapter 22. It's not about them. 
Hiring is one of the most stressful and difficult things a business owner does. This holds true for all companies, but particularly us, the gifters, bakers, crafters, makers. We have a bonded personal connection to our products. How could you possibly allow someone else to make your custom-designed rings? Or how could you be so vulnerable as to let someone do your bookkeeping and see your financial reports? I get it. I've been there. But if you want to grow past a certain point, you have to bring on people to help you. Once you've bought into this inevitability, the next step is to find the right person. This is another point where people run into serious trouble. Cynthia knows this only too well. She owns a boutique gift shop in Savannah. The products in her shop are sold on consignment and represent the creations of over 50 artisans from Georgia and South Carolina. In selling on consignment, an artist displays pieces in Cynthia's store. If a piece is sold, the money is split between the two parties. Her shop became a go-to place, drawing people from miles away. There was so much traffic, the front door had to be propped open by a large porcelain urn. It didn't make sense for it to open and close every other second. Day after day, Cynthia ran from one person to another, attending to the long line of customers wanting to purchase. She also needed to immediately register the sale to the right artisan so she didn't lose track. She was barely keeping up. In stepped a savior. Veronica was a longtime friend of Cynthia's. She was recently laid off from her job as a school district administrator. She offered to come work at the shop and explained how it would be a great solution for both of them. She was looking for work, and Cynthia needed help. This sounded perfect. Veronica had professional experience from her prior position, and Cynthia was desperate. The problem was that Veronica did not have the skills to do the required work. What was a challenging situation became a nightmare. Purchases were being applied to the wrong artisans. Even worse, customers were not getting answers to their questions, which resulted in frustrated people walking out the door. The porcelain urn was no longer needed. Both Cynthia and Veronica were miserable, and there was serious tension in their friendship. What started out as a good solution for both sides turned toxic. Cynthia learned her lesson the hard way. What can we learn from this? Make sure to hire for the skills required in a position. Don't reverse the process and try to fit the position to one specific person. Here's an additional tip. Many say you should never hire friends or family. I think it depends. My most valuable hire came to me as a friend first. She convinced me why she should come on board. Shout out here to Lori. I don't know what I'd do without you. That's a wrap for this session of Maker to Master, and I look forward to sharing the rest of the book with you in upcoming episodes. I want to make sure you're familiar with my free Facebook group called Gift Biz Breeze. It's a place where we all gather and are a community to support each other got a really fun post in there that's my favorite of the week, I have to say, where I invite all of you to share what you're doing, to show pictures of your product, to show what you're working on for the week, to get reaction from other people, and just for fun because we all get to see the wonderful products that everybody in the community is making. 
my favorite post every single week, without doubt. Wait, what? Aren't you part of the group already? If not, make sure to jump over to Facebook and search for the group Gift Biz Breeze. Don't delay. Come join us in Gift Biz Breeze. Today, 